0: Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. We'll be in chapter 42 in just a minute, not there yet, but turn there and you'll be ready for when we are. I've already mentioned it in the service um, that we will be looking at the thread of, or the theme of. Grief, or sorrow, hardships and troubles that we go through in life. Um, if you've been with us for Sunday evenings for a while now, you, you'd know that um, we are we're calling the series "Threads in Genesis" because we think, or I feel like, um, it seems that um, threads have been woven through this book uh, that is themes um, from start to finish and actually carry on throughout the rest of the Bible. Um, and they're, they're threads or their themes that we, I think, um, would gain a lot uh, when it comes to uh, meditating on. We're going to switch to this one. And I just have to stay put again. So, you know, what? I actually think this is somewhat helpful for me. I think I stick to my notes better and the time stays shorter if I stay near the, near the pulpit. So um, it's for everyone's benefit maybe that this is happening. Threads in Genesis, and today's thread is that of grief. Um, thread, thr- grief is um, a topic that is all over the book of Genesis. We see it um, early on with Cain, and it's not explicitly mentioned. The, gr- the word grief is not used, but you see it expressly uh, in, in a lot of different individuals' lives throughout the book of Genesis, for a lot of different scenarios early on the person of Cain Genesis 4 when he kills his brother God punishes him for it and because of that he grieves his punishment he grieves the what, what, what he has to now bear because of the consequences of his sin and so you see grief over personal sin I don't know if you've ever been there but I've certainly been there where um, I've done something wrong I owe I completely own it i realize it and yet i grieve the consequences of my actions we see that in here you also see grief over hardships that a person has no control over cain he had control over it and he's the reason for what he's now grieving but hagar genesis 21 if you know that story she was just obeying her master, and um, she slept with Abraham, had a son, Ishmael, and Sarah got jealous and kicked Hagar and her son out, and they were left in the, in the wilderness, or in the desert, to die. And so she's grieving this, and you can see, and you actually see in the text, she's weeping because she realizes her son is going to die, and she says, God, please don't make me see this. So different from Cain, she's grieving a reality that she couldn't have changed. She just has to endure it. And then, of course, there's grief throughout the book regarding death. Death of a spouse. We see in Genesis 23 that Abraham grieves the death of Sarah. Not just of a spouse, but we see grief over the death of a child. Genesis 37, though though Joseph isn't dead, Jacob thinks he is. And so Jacob is grieving and weeping the loss of Joseph. And so Genesis is, I think, quite representative of life in general for you and I. Grief is a reality, and sadness and sorrow and hardship are real things. The death of a spouse, the death of a child, the consequences of sin, and hardships that are out of our hands. These realities weigh us down and... We see that in Genesis, and, and of course the thread continues through the Bible. Um, Jesus comes and joins us in this fallen world. He, he joins us in our sorrow. And Hebrews says that because of that, he's able to sympathize with our pain. Isn't that so good that our Lord and Savior isn't removed from what you feel? But he knows how you feel. And of course, the ultimate pain and sorrow climaxes in the Bible at the cross, where Jesus bears all of our pain and all of our sorrow and all of our hurt, so that the sorrow that we do feel is only temporary, and it's not eternal. Christ bears it for us, and And, of course, the Bible doesn't stop with this thread there, but actually we're given this promise in Revelation that there is no pain, there is no grief, there is no sorrow in eternity, that it really does, for the Christian, end in death. And after death, there is no more tears. So grief is a thread in Genesis, all throughout the Bible, and it's just real in our lives today. It's continued on for 2,000 years after the Bible has been written. And, you know, for—I'm not speaking to anyone uh, where pain isn't foreign to you. Pain brings up a whole lot of feelings, doesn't it? Complicated feelings. You can feel confused. Why, God? I don't understand, God. Not just confusion, but anger, unjustified anger, but anger nonetheless that are, is very real. Like, how dare you, God? What have I ever done to deserve this? I've served you faithfully. That's so a confusion or anger. Ultimately, hopelessness. How am I going to get out of this? There's no way around this. All right, so grief. It's not foreign to anyone here, and it brings up a lot of complicated emotions and feelings. And all of that is true with the person of Joseph and his story. For good reason, too, right? If you know the story of Joseph, we've been looking at it for a few weeks now. But he experiences betrayal. He experiences slander and, and being wrongly accused. Unjust imprisonment, and really, he was robbed years of his life. Years! Not knowing what's happening, miles and miles away with his family. How's his mom? How's his dad? Are they even alive anymore? Are they doing well? He's been robbed of these years, sitting in a prison. So, of course, weeping and and sorrow is very close to the heart of Joseph's story. Actually, just in nine chapters, within the tail end of Genesis, within nine chapters, weeping, that verb, weeping, is mentioned 12 times. Multiple times per chapter. Weeping. It's at the heart of Joseph's story. And what we're going to look at tonight is Joseph does what I think most of us struggle with when it comes to sorrow and pain. He bottles it up. He doesn't want to talk about it. He wants to fight it himself. And we'll see that that is very uh, unwise and ultimately unbiblical and not helpful for our well-being. Joseph, we see this progression of sorrow and pain that I just want to look at briefly with you tonight. And so I do apologize. We're not going to have the text up on the screen like we normally do. I think this is just a one-night thing, um, a one-week thing. But um, grab your Bibles if you can. Uh, I'll, otherwise, I'll read it for you. But you can follow along at the very least uh, by listening. But certainly, the pew Bibles might help as well. Three different texts we're going to be looking at tonight. All of them, I think, ultimately, when you put them together, you can see this progression of sorrow in Joseph's life. That if you're just reading chapter by chapter and you just don't really glue them together, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. And so, I want to kind of glue these stories, though they're chapters apart, together and see the progression in Joseph's life, okay? So, the first one's going to be in Genesis 42, and I want to just give some context to Genesis 42. What has happened so far in Joseph's life? Well, Joseph is the second in command in all of Egypt. In all of Egypt, he's the second in command. Famine hits the land, and people come to Egypt from all over, the Mediterranean. People are traveling far in order to get the aid that Egypt is able to offer them. He sees his brothers amongst the refugees that are coming in for food, and he recognizes them. He sees them, and I can only imagine, I mean years, never seen him, and he sees them in the crowd. What kind of emotions must he be feeling in that moment? He starts talking to him and he realizes that he has a younger brother he's never met before. And he wants to meet this younger brother. And so he comes up with this plan to keep them longer and not letting them go home quickly. So he calls them spies and he locks them up and he says, you all are spies and we're locking you up and you're staying right here. You're not going anywhere. And this is where we pick up in Genesis 42, verse 17. Genesis 42, verse 17. Let me read through verse 24. This is what the Word of God says. And he put them all there together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go, and carry the grain for the famine of your household. And bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words will be verified, who they are and all that, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, in trust, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. They're talking about Joseph years later. This is why this is happening, is because we didn't listen to Joseph. That is why the stress, distress has come upon us. Verse twenty-two. And Reuben answered them, "Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But did you? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood." They did not know that Joseph. He understood what they were saying, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them, and he wept. I think it's firstly interesting this completely side note has nothing to do with what I'm really trying to get at in this passage but it says that he understood them they didn't know that he could understand them because there was an interpreter there I don't really understand the reasoning why Joseph needed an interpreter Um, maybe he had been so contextualized in Egypt at that time that he's really lost his ability to um, be fluent in his native tongue I'm not really sure Uh, but that, if so, that goes back to our sermon some time ago about how they were trying to contextualize him and make him Egyptian through and through, if that's the case. But nevertheless, Im- imagine what Joseph is feeling here. Can you, can you just, just try to put yourself in Joseph's shoes here and just think about how he must be feeling? His life was ruined by his brothers. And now he's hearing them recognize Their guilt and how they treated him. And them expressing regret how they treated him. They don't know that he's standing there listening, but he's listening to them. And they're saying, this is what's happening because we shouldn't have ever done that to Joseph. We should have listened to Joseph. Joseph didn't deserve that and it happened. And and he's just listening. It's not an apology, but it's the closest thing you can get to one. I would think. He was just overcome with emotions. And it says that he turned away from them and he wept. He turned away from them and he wept. He was able to just turn away because his weeping and his emotions were controllable and they were containable. Controllable and containable. They weren't intense yet. But Joseph struggles with that, I think a lot of us do and he bottled it up. So he just turned away so that no one could see. He doesn't want to grieve in front of others, so he turns away, no one sees, and he weeps. Second instance, turn to Genesis 43, verse 26, we'll be there in a minute. Uh, let me give some context, what happens between what we just read and what we're about to read. So he, he ends up binding up one of the brothers, that's Simeon, and, uh, and he sends the rest home to go get to, to take the grain home. And if they want to free the one brother... Simeon, do you remember what Joseph said they need to do? They need to bring the the younger brother he's never met before so that they can verify that their story is legitimate. And if they bring Benjamin, Simeon will go free. So they go back, they tell their father, Jacob, and after much persuasion, Jacob was very reluctant to send Benjamin. He He already lost his favorite son. He doesn't want to lose Benjamin. But he does. He finally gives in. He sends Benjamin with many gifts so that Joseph would be very, very pleased and uh, would be favorable towards them. So he sends Benjamin with a lot of gifts. And when they arrive, Joseph wants to have dinner with them. And this is where we pick up in Genesis 43, verse 26. This is what it says. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them, and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare, and he said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke about, is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, our father, he is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads, and they uh, prostrated themselves, and he lifted up his eyes, and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chambers, and he wept there. Then he washed his face, and he came out, and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. Imagine what Joseph's feeling now. Benjamin is his only full-blood brother. I think that's significant to think about. He has all these brothers, but Benjamin is the only other one born of Leah, Jacob's first love. This is his only full-blood brother, and he's never met him before until this moment. So seeing Benjamin just brings so much joy. It says that he, he was overwhelmed with compassion towards this brother. And yet with this joy, seeing Benjamin brought incredible Grief and pain, because in seeing Benjamin, he realized how much time was robbed from him, how much life was robbed from him, how much experience and how many memories were robbed of him. This was his brother, his only full-blood brother. It's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes something that can grieve us so much can also bring so much joy. He was so overwhelmed about Benjamin and yet so hurt by looking at Benjamin. I think we're just so complex that the people we love most can bring the most pain to us. So he rushed out to hide his sorrow. So before, he turned away. Do you see this progression? He turned away the first time and he just wept where they just couldn't see him. This time, he couldn't just turn away. He was going to weep too loudly, too uncontrollably, so he has to leave the room, and he goes and weeps in his chamber. It's more intense, but still controllable, somewhat. You know, when I think about realizing what you've lost and just being so grieved by it, I think about the story of a woman named Nancy Guthrie you' ever heard about her. She's, um, she's a women's Bible study, uh, curriculum producer, and she's uh, um, living right now. Uh, she's really amazing. I recommend her her stuff. But her testimony is absolutely incredible. Nancy Guthrie. Um, she had a child, and uh, everything looked good and through the pregnancy leading up to it, she gave birth, and they realized very quickly um, that the baby had a defect. That was rare, unexpected, and they they had no idea leading up to this. But the baby had a defect, and the baby only lived six months. And she lost her baby. And they said the defect was genetic, and it would happen again. So she just had to forfeit that part of her life, uh, having children and and raising children um, that were her own. And so she had a procedure done that she wouldn't get pregnant again. Miraculously, she got pregnant again. And she had her baby, and it lasted six months and died. Could you just imagine the pain, the confusion, the anger that you might be feeling towards God? God, I had the procedure that I wouldn't get pregnant again. How? Why? Would you make, why would you? Can you just imagine what she was feeling? I can only imagine that every time she sees a baby or she thinks about children, she's reminded of what she's lost. Her two children. And that's Joseph's feeling that. He's seeing Benjamin and he's just realizing what he's lost, everything that he's lost, all these memories and all these experiences over the years that he's lost and he's just so overwhelmed with grief. But just like Nancy... Joseph remains faithful to God. In the midst of all of his pain, all of his heartbreak, he doesn't blame God, he relies on God. It's possible to do that. It really is. Even in the worst times of grief. So the first time, he just turns away and he weeps. The second time, he can't just turn away. He has to go into his into his bedroom and cry there. Now the third and final text that I want to look at tonight is Genesis 44. Turn the chapter again, Genesis 44, verse 27. And leading up to this, let me give you a little bit more context between the verses we just read and the verses we're about to read now. So he sends them on their way. After they have their meal, they get their stuff, they have Benjamin, and he sends them all on their way home. And that's going to be the end of it. But Joseph doesn't want it to be the end of it. And so he puts, if you know the story, a silver cup, his cup, in Benjamin's bag, and he sends them out. Very quickly, it's realized that Benjamin has Joseph's belongings, and he's framed as a thief. So they have to go back to the palace, find out uh, Joseph, he hears about it, which obviously he's the one that put it in there. And he says that Benjamin has to be a slave from now on. Benjamin can never return to Jacob, his father. And Judah, one of the brothers, steps up and he begs Joseph to to take him instead. Don't take Benjamin. Take me. I'll be your slave forever. Don't make Benjamin your slave. And, And what we're about to read is part of his speech to Joseph. Genesis 44, verse 27, says this. This is... Judah talking. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, surely this has been been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. He's talking about Joseph. If you take this one also from me, and and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs and evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servant will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant, that's himself, gave a pledge of safety for the boy, my father, saying, If I do not bring him back, then I shall bear the blame before my father all of my life. Verse 33, now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back to his father, for how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would bring my father. Chapter 45, verse 1, then Joseph could not control himself before all of those who stood before him. He cried Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. Again, imagine what Joseph's feeling here. His brothers protected Benjamin in a way that Joseph wished they would have protected him. Just think about that. They betrayed him, they wronged him, they sold him into slavery, and they lied about him, and now he sees them standing up for Benjamin saying, we'll do whatever we can to protect him. Take us, not him. I mean, really, I, if I were Joseph, I would just be standing there like, where was this at 12 years ago? Like, what's different about him than me? You know, just the the pain that he must be feeling. And he's unable to control himself. You see the progression of how intense his emotions are. He cried in front of his brothers. He sent the rest of them out, but he cried in front of his brothers. He wept so loudly in front of them that all of the Egyptians heard it in Pharaoh's household. So, when we take these three texts... And 42 43 and 44 what do we do with them what lessons do we get from them well i think firstly no one is exempt from grief and i think most of us know that but sometimes we don't remember that when we are faced with it you see joseph was wealthy he was powerful He has all that he would ever want. He has all the means necessary to buy whatever he needs to buy. He loves God. He remained faithful to God when everything was going wrong. If anybody deserved to be exempt from hardship, it would be him. If anyone had the means in order to buy himself out of hardship, it would be him. And yet, having all the money he has and being as faithful as he was, he wasn't exempt. He wasn't exempt. So we see no one is exempt from grief. Secondly, I think in Joseph's story, we see that we're not meant to grieve alone. And if I'm just talking to you, I don't know what's exactly going on in in each of your lives, whatever might be really weighing heavy on you right now, but regardless of what it is or who you are, let me just tell you you're not to go through it alone. And you don't have to fight it alone, you don't have to feel it alone. No one is too tough, talking to you guys, men, no one's too tough or manly to admit admit that they are hurting. No one's too manly for that. Just too prideful. Just too prideful. I struggle with that. My hand's the first one to raise up. Say that. What's amazing is that Joseph found relief in embracing his pain openly with others. First, he turned away and he wept. Secondly, it was getting worse and worse. He was bottling it up. He had to go into his room and he cried there. Finally, he just cried in front of his brothers and wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. And I love it. If if you just kept reading, we don't have the time to, but in chapter 45, one more chapter, verse 14, we see that Joseph fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept. With him And Benjamin wept upon Joseph's neck. Do you see the progression? And this time he weeps with his brother. He cries with his brother and his brother cries with him. And I think that's such a beautiful picture of how you and I should embrace the pain that we're feeling. Brotherly, brothers and sisters crying together. Weeping with those who weep. And so if you're hurting alone, just getting really practical now. If you're hurting and you're keeping it to yourself, I just ask you, no, scripture would ask you, scripture would call you to to welcome others into that with you. Can I tell you I, I got a I got a uh a, a prayer card. We get prayer cards quite frequently. I'm so glad about it. And we pray about him every Tuesday. Um, and we got one to, last week. Um, anonymous, no name. But it just said, I'm a member of this church. And I feel alone. I feel like I don't have anyone. And so Trent and, I, and Katie, we just prayed over whoever that is. And that might be you. You might be in here right now. No one knows. It's you, but... You would know it's you. And that tells me two things. Firstly, that our church, Emmanuel Baptist Church, is not exempt from what I'm talking about here. We're not exempt from what Joseph's feeling and and these kinds of struggles. We're not exempt from it. But secondly, that card also tells me that I need to tell you quit grieving alone, quit being anonymous. In love, in genuine kindness, In love towards you, let me tell you, being anonymous doesn't help. You or the church, reach out and weep with those who weep with you. Cry with them and we'll cry with you. Being anonymous doesn't help. But I think there's so many other lessons throughout Scripture that we can see outside of just the story of Joseph. So can I just maybe leave you with three things to remember if you're going through grief? Three things to remember. Firstly, remember that God is always near to you. God's with you. Psalm 34, verse 18. It says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. God's presence with you right now is not in place of The presence of the church and those around you, it's in addition to. So just because God is with you, and he certainly is, doesn't give you a reason not to reach out to those around you. Okay? Um, God's nearness to the brokenhearted is not in place of the nearness that the church should also have. It's in addition to those around you. But God is near you. You need to remember that. Secondly, remember that pain is temporary no matter how inescapable it might feel. It is temporary. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, For God's anger is but a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. And this is the part that you might know. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It's true. It might continue for a lifetime, it's possible. But can I tell you, that is the absolute longest it could be. It might be a lifetime. That might be the lot that God has given us, or you, or me. But he promises it's just a lifetime at most. And if that's our lot, we can trust that God has a good reason for it. That's, I think that song that we sung earlier, it is well. It's a beautiful song. And uh, can I just read some of the lyrics in light of all this? Just think on this. When sorrows like sea billows roll. And sea billows, again, old English. That's like giant waves crashing. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Okay, just crashing. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, is well with my soul. The next part, though Satan should buffet, again, old English, I had to look this one up, buffet is to, to strike repeatedly, though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and he has shed his blood for my soul. So pain is temporary, no matter how in- inescapable it might feel. It might be a lifetime, but that's the longest it ever could be. Lastly, remember this, that the joy of eternity outshines any present darkness that pain might bring you. Let me say that again. The joy of eternity outshines any present darkness that pain might bring you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 Soak this in. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you see the comparison there? Our affliction right now, he describes as light. And the glory that is to come is weighty. This affliction that we feel now is momentary. But the glory is eternal. I'm not wanting to minimize the pain that you feel in whatever you're going through, but I do want to magnify the glory that is to come. The pains of this life do feel relentless, but they are but a glimpse in time compared to glory. And the pains of this life are intense. I'm not minimizing that. Though they're intense, they are small compared to the weight of glory that you will experience. So, and comp- considering Joseph tonight, let me just say this. We are not exempt, you're not exempt from hardships, but as a help to you that you might utilize, God gives you Himself, gives you one another. And it gives you many glorious truths to hope in as you go through your trials. These light momentary afflictions. Let me pray for you tonight. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.